Hello, hello, my friends. Happy New Year. And uh, it's a it's a it's a start of a new year, but it's it's a mixed bag. Uh, also, it's a sor- a sorrowful start. We lost uh, Pope Benedict the Sixteenth Emeritus, and um, we all knew it was going to happen. Um, you know. We all knew that this was coming at some point. He was uh, old. He was 95 years old. And he, um, you know, he was fragile. You know, he was frail. It was just natural old age. But he was also an intellectual giant, kind of like a St. Augustine and Ambrose or Thomas Aquinas. You know, and he, his theology and philosophy was unmatched, unmatched in this age. I don't think we're going to see anyone like him for a very long time. He was sort of, he was the last kind of like of a classicist of that, of that class of, of intellectuals, a man who loved his faith, used his intellect to serve the faith, to serve Christ. You know, he used his his spiritual muscles, his intellectual muscles, his heart, his mind, his entire life, he gave it all to Christ. You're not going to find anyone like that for a very long time. And with someone like that, with someone like him, he, in this age, think about it, when everyone else is using their intellectual mind for fame, for political gain, to to make more money to get more rich more wealth to um, influence manipulate whatever you want to call it society someone like him comes along and they're a complete contradiction instead of using it for the secular world He gave it all to the vineyard of of the Lord, to the church. He wrote books on Christ. He, He spoke of Christ. He wrote of Christ. This is a contradiction to society. They... They get, you know, people get very, they got very angry. They called him God's Rottweiler. And that really wasn't, it wasn't really meant as a compliment. It was meant, it was meant, it was meant as an insult against him because he's German. And I've had people, I've had people I've known, I worked with, who actually referred to him as a Nazi. 
because of the fact that when he was young, he was forced to, to, to go to the Hitler Youth Movement. He didn't want to. As a matter of fact, he ran away, I believe, twice, if I'm wrong. But I know he, they caught him and they threatened him like they threatened all the other young men. That if he does it again, his parents would go to, would be arrested. He didn't want to be in the Hitler Youth Movement. He came from a deeply devout Catholic family. His father was a police officer. His father was named Joseph and his mother was named Mary, if I'm correct. Even he had a sister named Maria. (laughs) But the point is, he... He he came, he came, he lived like all of us were born in the time that God wants us to be born. And we're appointed the time that God wants us to. Everything, the events that we go through, is what God wants. And the point is, I think he's a good example of showing us, do you want to go through this life not knowing Jesus Christ, not letting him guide you or go through this life knowing Jesus Christ and let him guide you through everything, which is better to live this life wandering, grasping in the dark, as the gospel gospel says, or going through life with the light of Christ guiding you guiding your every steps, every moment given to him. I mean, a communist, a Marxist, denies that God exists and goes through life like that, chooses to, pushes God away, right? Many people do. Some people are brought up Christian, but they push God away and they go through life creating other idols for themselves, politics, money, fame, sex. They, they worship at the, at the altar of, of the God of alcoholism. They worship at the altar of God of, of drugs or they worship at the altar, the God of violence and unrest. So Pope Benedict, Joseph Ratzinger, worshiped the Lord. He, he gave, he, the intellectualism, his intellectualism, his intelligence that came from God, he gave it back to God. And that's, that's the important thing here. That's the lesson we have to understand. He, he worshipped Christ completely. He worshipped Christ. It, he gave it all to him. All. And that was important to him. All right, so let's begin. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. I confess to Almighty God and to you, my brothers and sisters, that I have greatly sinned in my thoughts and in my words and what I have done and what I have failed to do. 
through my faults, through my faults, through my most grievous faults. Therefore I ask, Blessed Mary, ever-Virgin, and all the angels and saints, and you, my brothers and sisters, to please pray for me and with me to the Lord our God. May Almighty God have mercy on us, forgive us our sins, and bring us to everlasting life. Amen. Lord have mercy, Lord have mercy, Lord have mercy. Christ have mercy, Christ have mercy, Christ have mercy. Lord have mercy, Lord have mercy, Lord have mercy. Glory to God in the highest and on earth. Peace to people of goodwill. We praise you, we bless you, we adore you, we glorify you. We give you thanks for your great glory. Lord God, heavenly King, O God, almighty Father, Lord Jesus Christ, only begotten Son, Lord God, Lamb of God, Son of the Father, you take away the sins of the world. Have mercy on us. You take away the sins of the world. Receive our prayer. You are seated at the right hand of the Father. Have mercy on us. For you alone are the Holy One. You alone are the Lord. You alone are the Most High, Jesus Christ, with the Holy Spirit and the glory of God the Father. Amen. Okay. Um going to focus on the first reading here from the book of Numbers, chapter 6, verse 22 to 27. The Lord said to Moses, speak to Aaron and his sons and tell them, this is how you shall bless the Israelites. Say to them, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord let his face shine upon you and give and be gracious to you. The Lord look upon Look upon you kindly and give you peace. So shall they invoke my name upon the Israelites, and I will bless them. One more time. The Lord said to Moses, Speak to Aaron and his sons, and tell them that this is how you shall bless the Israelites. Say to them, The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord let his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord look upon you kindly and give you peace. So shall they invoke my name upon the Israelites, and I will bless them. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. We begin the year with this particular reading from the Old Testament. Because we're connected to the spirituality, to the spiritual relationship of the past. We're not cut off. We're connected to the people of Israel. We're, co we're connected to the covenant. God, Emmanuel, was with them. He was with them. And not only was he with them, but he was with all the people of the earth, including those who were Gentiles. All right. It, it isn't like he turned his back on them, on the Gentile nations, on the Egyptians, on the the Sumerians, the uh, the people of Greece, on the Slavic ancestors of the, uh, in the past. No, or the people of Africa or the people of Asia. No, he didn't ignore them. Or the people of South America. 
They didn't have the covenant. They weren't ready. Even Israel, in many ways, was not ready. God is, is with us. He's with us even when we're blind. He, Paul himself makes it clear. He sent down rain and he made your crops grow. Even though you didn't know him and you groped with him in the dark, he was still with them. He was with them in every moment. Even when we're blinded, when we lose our way, when we lose our way for any particular reason, he's still with us. And when we, when we at least are aware of him and we, we, we accept him, we cry out to him, we reach out to him in our hearts and our minds spiritually, he's with us even more. The relationship is even better. Because now you know him, and as, as the saying goes, you cannot love what you do not know. You have to know something in order to love it, to love it better. You have to have a relationship with it in order to, to love. And then not love is a will, because what if you get to know something and you don't love it? Right? So... Obviously, it's an act of the will. And the act of believe is when something has been revealed to you. Right? The, uh, and when it says it's been revealed, the, the, you know, once you, you believe, you embrace it. To believe is an act of faith. It's an act of saying Yes. You know, it's, it's complicated, but I'm going to try to go through this through more carefully because I've actually been doing everything I can to make notes and to really go into this uh, because I know I made an attempt at the uh, catechism and it wasn't enough. But I want to try to tackle it this year a little bit more because I really do believe that people, we all need to know this. It doesn't matter even if you're already, like, educated. I think you need to constantly... Um, experience that faith grow into it anyway someone like Pope Benedict XVI was given to us to teach us and teachers you know they have a tough time they're not always liked and even if you do like them I don't necessarily think that's always a good thing because it's hard to listen to a teacher you do like, especially if the teacher is too kind. But someone like Benedict XVI, he had it harder. He was not, he was a very stoic, well-reserved person, but he wanted to teach it. He was a liberal at Vatican too. He was a liberal. He was actually, when he saw the culture, the way it was heading, the culture itself turned turned him off. The protests, the riots, the student violence turned him off completely. And they say that's when he... And I think what happened was it wasn't so much just that it turned him away. He was a cautious person 
And I think that's important to understand. Someone like him was cautious. Now, people, there are people like who like all this stuff. And they, they bask in it. They bask in the riots. They bask in the, the violence. They bask in the, the book burning. They, ba- you know, they bask in the, the, the clash between police and students. And that itself is not a good thing. And he's right. He's right because what will come out of it? What system? What what system is going to come out of it that will that will be? I mean, are you sure is going to be what you want it to be? No. So he, you know, he decided, no, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna go down this road. I'm not gonna go down this road, and it makes sense because he already seen this. He saw this. In World War II, when the Nazis were burning books, you may say it was not the same thing. It doesn't matter. To him, it's going to lead somewhere that's not good. He already lived through it. You can't tell him that this is not this not the same thing. And I've heard people say that. It's totally different. People would, would say about Marxism, and and whatever you want to call it, uh, whatever other riots or, or protests or system, it's you can't say it's not the same thing. You don't know it, you know, just because people, there's some people that love riots. There's some people that love, uh, you know, the the the, the so-called revolution. They think they're going to create a utopia. It's some people love it. Where did it go? Defund the police. Cancel culture. You know, there was a... Yes, last night I was watching. uh, Her name is Sydney Watson. She's an Australian. And she's a commentator. and, And she's a conservative. And she's not... She describes herself as not a feminist. She's got a quite a bit of a entertain, entertaining personality, uh, funny she you know she knows how to be a comedian i think she should have been a comedian <laughs> but she came to new york to be part of a, some um sort of like uh a bunch of women in a in a panel to be asked questions and they were talking about feminism uh and cancel culture and no, and and sadly, I think either she was just the only one or one of two conservative uh, conservatives in a, in a group. It looked like maybe eight women, maybe maybe more, and they're all they're all pretty much contemporary. And this goes to show you like how they think. The, it went it went from objective talking to victimhood to personal experiences and when Sydney tried to bring up how conservatives uh-huh. are treated uh, the there was one young woman uh, on the front row to the far left of her who 
broke out in this ridiculous rupture of laugh that sounded like something, like she sounded like out of a Batman comic, a supervillain from a Batman comic. Who laughs like that? Like a, a, a very almost dramatic laugh, like from a low-budget movie, like overacting. And attacks her because she's a white woman from Australia and you don't like it that people whose voices have never been heard are finally being heard. That wasn't, that wasn't, the, that wasn't what she was saying. It was not, it, 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 she was simply saying that what silencing someone, shaving someone, is is a way of getting to be heard. This is this is the same thing, what the Nazis did. It's the same thing, what the Marxists did. The idea is to. Knock to 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 silence that other individual. Benedict, when he saw the student riots, he simply made an about turn. And, that's exactly what he did. I want to read his last will and testament. It's a short one. Okay. This is from the Vatican News. The spiritual testament of Pope Emeritus Benedict XVI. The Holy See releases the spiritual testament of Pope Emeritus Benedict XVI, dated 29th of August, 2006 when at this last hour of my life i look back on the decades i have wandered through i see first of all how much reason i have to give thanks above all i thank god himself the giver of all good gifts who has given me life and guided me through all kinds of confusion who has always picked me up when I began to slip, who has always given me anew the light of his countenance. And in retrospect, I see and understand that even the dark and erroneous stretches of this path were for my salvation, and he guided me well in those very stretches. I thank my parents who gave me life in difficult times and prepared a, a wonderful home for me with their love, which shines through all my days as bright light until today. My father's clear-sighted faith taught us brothers and sisters to believe and stood firm as a guide in the, in the midst of all my scientific knowledge. My mother's heartfelt piety and great kindness remains a legacy for which I cannot thank her enough. My sister has served me selflessly and full of kind concern for decades. My brother has always paved the way for me with the clear-sightedness of his judgments, with his powerful determination and with the cheerfulness of his heart. Without this ever knew going ahead and going along, I would not have been able to find the right path. I thank God from the bottom of my heart 
for the many friends, men and women, whom he has placed at my side, for the co-workers at all stages of my path, for the teachers and students he has given me. I gratefully entrust them all to his goodness, and I would like to thank the Lord for my beautiful home in the Bavarian foothills of the, of the Alps, in which I was able to see the splendor of the Creator himself. Shining through time and, and again, I thank the people of my homeland for allowing me to experience the beauty of faith. Time and again, I pray that our country will remain a country of faith. And I ask you, dear compatriots, not to let your faith be distracted finally. I thank God for all the beauty I was able to experience during the various stages of my journey, but especially in Rome and in Italy, which has become my second home. I ask for forgiveness from the bottom of my heart from all those whom I have wronged in some way. What I said earlier of my compatriots, I now say to all who were entrusted to my service in the church. I stand firm in the faith. Do not be confused. Often it seems as if science on the one hand and the natural sciences on the other, historical research, especially the exegesis of the Holy Scriptures, has irrefutable insights to offer that are contrary to the Catholic faith. I have witnessed from time along past the changes in natural sciences and have seen how the uh, how apparent certainties against the faith vanished, proving themselves not to be science but philosophical interpretations, only apparently belonging to science, just as, moreover, it is in dialogue with the natural sciences that faith has learned to understand the limits of the scope of the affirmation, and thus it is own specificity. Sorry. For 60 years now, I have accompanied the path of theology, especially biblical studies, and have seen seemingly unshakable thesis collapse with the changing generations, which turn out to be mere hypothesis, the liberal generation, Heinrich uh, and uh, Juliarek, etc., the existentialist generation, Bultmann, the Marxist generations, I have seen and see how out of the tangle of hypotheses the reasonableness of faith has emerged and is emerging anew. Jesus Christ is truly the way, the truth, and the life, and the church in all her shortcomings is truly his body. Finally, I humbly ask, pray for me, so that the Lord may admit me to the eternal dwellings, despite all my sins and shortcomings. For all those entrusted to me, my heartfelt prayer goes out day after day. Pope Benedict XVI, Emeritus. So, you see... He witnessed all of it. He witnessed everything. And that is something we have to understand. A lot of times things come from popular trends, popular movements. 
that looks like science, and it's not science. I truly think that we're going to start to find out things now more than ever before that what were that came out of science and orthodox science about cre- about the the world about evolution i think a lot of things now are going to start now with the, all the genetics that made may, that maybe what we thought was the discoveries maybe were not maybe there was a lot of prejudices people trying to bury uh god's creation and push God out of out of it because that's really I mean think about it the average person doesn't have time to figure all this out right but I think we're going to discover more and more and I think God is going to reveal himself more and more you know and we'll see but definitely I really wish I hope that God blesses us with more people like Pope Benedict more people like another Augustine another Ambrose Maybe another John Henry Newman. We need more people like this. And God is always going to bless us with people like this to communicate his message to a, a world that's finding, that's, that's becoming more and more difficult to communicate with. All right, let's move on from here. Okay, now this here, um, I'll read the Psalm, Psalm 67 here. May God bless us in his mercy. May God have pity on us and bless us. May he let his face shine upon us. So may your way be known upon earth, among all nations, your salvation. May God bless us in his mercy. May the nations be glad and exult, because you rule the peoples in equity, the nations on the earth you guide. May, may God bless us in his mercy. May the peoples praise you, O God. May all the peoples praise you. May God bless us and may all the ends of the earth fear him. May God bless us in his mercy. Okay, a reading from the letter of St. Paul to the Galatians, chapter 4, verse 4 to 7. When the fullness of time had come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law to ransom those under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons as proof that you are sons god sent the spirit of his son into our hearts crying out abba father so you are no longer a slave but a son and if a son then also an heir through god all right, so Psalm 67 has sort of the same tone as numbers. But what's interesting about this here, if you notice in Psalm 67, um, so may, you, may, may your way be known upon the earth among all the nations your salvation. This is something I think that's often been overlooked, even by the people of Israel, that God, God, the, the, the God of Israel can make his love and his salvation known 
throughout all the nations. Why would he want to bless the nations? Why would he want the nations to know? Why does God care about the nations who worship other false gods? Well, why wouldn't he? Why did he care about Israel? Why did he call Abraham out from all, from, from among the Gentiles? Why did he save Noah and his family? Yet he does show, he does care about them because though the nations, the Gentiles, may not know him, they're still his creation. Everything is still his creation. We should ask why, why he chose us. Why does he care so much about us? Not that we should think we're better. It should be more of a question of why. Why us? And yet, at the same time, we should also be grateful that he has chosen us, that he has chosen to reveal himself. At the same time, you got to remember, Israel did have a, have a vocation, although a lot of times... There are a lot of Jewish people may think it's not their responsibility to, to help the Gentiles know it. But in, the, in reality, they, there was a mission for them. When Solomon built the temple, he made the courtyard of the Gentiles so that the Gentiles can see and participate, at least be curious. It was meant to be a light to them. A temple like that cannot be just there, just for the nation. When you're surrounded by Gentiles all over, it can't be just that. You, it has to be a curiosity. It has to be something that would spark their interest, spark a desire in them to want to know if there's only one true God. You know, Naaman, the Syrian, the general Syrian, who, was, who, who had a leprosy, when he was cured, when he dived several times into the, the, the Jordan River to be cured of his leprosy, he knew right away that there's a God, that truly that Israel, Israel truly knows God, and all the other gods were false. We ourselves, all of us, have to, have to be aware that we we don't just have a relationship with God. But we have also an obligation. We God is using us as a vessel and an instrument to bring other people to him. If our body is a temple of the Lord and our lives are really also a temple to the Lord, then it's our duty to help other people find their way to God. God, Christ said, you are the light of the world. And yet he himself is the light of the world. He is the light of the world and we are the light of the world. And our duty is to bring God, to bring his message to others. Okay, that's why. If, if my house is a house of prayer for all nations, then we are part of that house and we have to bring all the nations 
everyone to him. In uh, St. Paul's letter to the Galatians, the fullness of time, when the fullness of time had come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to ransom those under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons, as proof that you are sons of God. Sons, that you are sons. God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying out, Abba, Father, so you are no longer a slave but a son. And if a son, then also an heir through God. The fullness of time, it's, one could say from from one perspective, at the right point of history. But does that mean, this is the thing, does that mean all the other people in the past were not at the right point of history? No. Everything culminates Everything that was before and everything now points at that particular point in history. And I and I have to say this, if Jesus said to Nicodemus that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever should believe in him shall not perish but have eternal life. All the people in the past, all the souls that were born, we can't say that they're dismissed, that they are disregarded. God doesn't disregard something made in his image. I, I, I don't believe that. I know that his justice is true, that I can accept. I believe his justice is true. And I'm not talking like I'm I'm a junior <laughs> I'm a junior theologian. I think I'm a junior 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 theologian because I know that I know that I can be corrected, you know, and I, I don't have I don't have all all the answers. This is just my own um I guess you can say nonsense speculation, but think about all the people, all those all those souls all those men, women, and children. And I would include the people of Israel, but what about the Gentiles? What about the Egyptians? What about the Africans? What about those Greeks? What about those Celtic, those Slavic people, the people of Asia, the people of South America? Were they just... Um, just, what do you call it? Excess of history? No. I don't believe that. Yes, they were groping in the dark. Yes, they were searching. Yes, some of them some of them have fallen into really deep evil. But even among people like that, there's good. There's good people, people who want something, people who want good, people who are searching for an answer. 
you know, I th- for some reason comes to my mind that uh, film, Apocalypto, made by Mel Gibson a couple of years ago, very violent about the um, the people of uh, South America, and just at the point when the um, the colonialists, the uh, the Spanish explorers and Portuguese explorers were about to come in, when one particular character. Um, who was, whose family and his tribe were attacked, were, um, were hunted down by the, uh, the Incas or Aztecs. I can't remember, but they're the ones who were obviously with those South American pyramids and they were using all the excess tribes, the, the individual tribes outside of their city walls as sacrifice. And this particular protagonist was fighting to save his wife his children from being hunted down and he was trying everything he can to save them now obviously this was Gibson's um, interpretation but it was it was a very well done and and Christianity just comes in you, you see the boat as was he runs to the shore and out of the mist comes the, the, a boat with Catholic priests on it with um, Sp- Spanish or Portuguese soldiers. Spanish probably, but the point is the gospel was coming. And yet, look at someone like this protagonist who was fighting to save his wife and children from these barbarian, from these other uh, barbar- barbaric, from these barbaric people who only saw them as sport. Same, same race, same culture, same, from the same world, same continent being hunted down savagely by by other tribes that were similar to him. I mean, I have to say, Gibson put a face on evil and he put a face on good. You can look at the two, they may look, they may not look much different. But when you but then you realize by each one's motives and actions who's good and who's evil. Now, it was it was a very you know it was a very interesting film, and you have to ask yourself the particular protagonist: Would he receive Christ? Most likely, he would. His the other men who were hunting him down, who were from the same, who were from another tribe, will they receive Christ? Maybe they will, maybe they will not. We don't know, but the point is, God doesn't, God does judges the heart, not the appearances. He looks at the heart of the individual, what their heart is, the good and evil in their own heart. All the other things are just accidentals. As accidentals of the moment and everything else that could be that could happen 
the good, the bad are accidentals that that are unfortunate. Some of them can become impediments. Some things can become an impediment. Unfortunate impediment could be prejudice, could be could be fear, could be suspicion, doubt, cultural. All these are all impediments. And sometimes we could be the cause of them. Scandal by the bad example of another Christian, right? The bad behavior of a conquistador, the bad behavior of a of a priest, the prejudices of a priest. <clears throat> you know, there's a scene in the fourth episode of The Chosen where the apostles were getting around the table and after their mission, some of them were questioning about the miracles they performed. Some of them were questioning about their own preaching. In uh, one of the episodes, um, I think it was the second episode, where Nathaniel was questioning about Jesus giving them the power to heal and to preach. And Nathaniel says, was there a ceremony I missed? And Jesus responds, this is it. And Nathaniel says, I don't feel any different. And Jesus responds, I don't need you to feel anything to do great things. So now they went out preaching. And the fourth episode, the fourth episode, they're back and they're questioning. Big James said, I was saying things that were not something I ever lived by. And I felt like a hypocrite saying them. And then others say, you know, I was performing miracles. And, you know, like John said, it made me feel powerful and strong. And Philip said, but isn't that dangerous, John? And, and John responded to Philip, why? Because, he said, because, he says, he's the Messiah, we're not. And someone said, but he gave us the power. Yes, but the power belongs to him, not to us. If we think this way, like, you know, in other words, questioning how powerful we feel, this, this was a good conversation. This is something that Christians should have a conversation about. This is something that both Protestant and Catholic, the power to heal an individual, to heal a blind person, to heal a crippled person, to cast out a demon, is his Judas, they show Judas performing an exorcism with, you know, helping Simon Peter to get a demon outside, uh, out of a girl. Judas Iscariot, who would betray him, was performing miracles, casting out demons, healing the blind and the sick, healing and cleansing lepers. So Christ can work through a bad priest. He doesn't need you to be a saint. He doesn't need any of us to be saints. But if we, yet, and even if we are baptized Christians, does it require, does it require for us to believe like everyone else? Does it require us to be holy? No. God can work through an unholy person. If God 
can perform, like for example, Cyrus the Great of Persia was a pagan. And yet God used him to help restore Israel. Right? King David commits adultery and murder. Yet God still uses him to serve his people. Right? All these things, all, all of them happened. Even Israel, when Israel still failed him, when Israel failed him and committed to sin and went into apostasy, they still served God's purpose. He doesn't give up on, 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 on his people. Even when you, you and I, when we fall into mortal sin, or we, f we go into apostasy, God can still use us to perform his duties, even to serve our family. A bad man, an abusive husband and father, God can still use him to pay the bills, put a roof over his children's head, get his child medical attention. Even, even get his wife medical attention as much as he's not a loving man. The point is he can still do it. You know, in other words, your impeccability, your, you know, it's not required for you to be 100% with God. All it requires is that God can use you as an instrument to serve a greater good. All right. All right, here's an article from uh, Crisis Magazine by Eric Simmons, the paradoxical Pope. In spite of the profound impact Pope Benedict XVI has had on my life, or perhaps because of it, I can't help but have mixed and confused feelings about the man now that he has he has passed. This is the same thing uh, Taylor Marshall struggles with. So let's begin. This is going to be a good article. A few months after I entered the Catholic Church in 1993, I began a graduate pro program in Catholic theology. There, I discovered the writings of a man who would fundamentally shape my understandings, understanding of Catholicism. Joseph Ratzinger. My program of study was heavy on the 20th century Catholic theologians, men such as Conger, de Labuc, de Labac, Daniel Lowe, um, I may be pronouncing his names wrong, so forgive me, Wachtila, that's uh, Pope John Paul II, but for me, Ratzinger towered above them all. I devoured everything I could find by the German cardinal. In fact, at one point, I considered learning German just so I could read all his works in their original language, even after leaving formal studies. I continued to read anything and everything Ratzinger said or wrote. When he was elected pope, my joy was completed. complete. Okay, hold on. 
From the beginning, I felt a connection to Joseph Ratzinger. That's the same way I felt. I did. I don't know if it was his writing style, the depth of his insights, or the biblical foundations of his thought, but for whatever reason, I soaked in his works. I think I read his Principles of Catholic Theology in one long, insane reading session, and then read it again and again. I loved his book on eschatology and his introduction to Christianity. I consider a foundational work for Catholics in the 20th century. His book, Jesus of Nazareth, written while serving as Pope, touched me and led me to a deeper encounter with our Lord. In fact, encountering Christ was the plumb line that connected all his works and was what I most appreciated about him. Unlike many scholars who detached themselves from their subject in a, in a spirit of academic inquiry, Ratzinger passionately loved his subject, Jesus Christ. That, in fact, was likely his particular genius in, in an era of academic skepticism about the Bible, about the church, about God himself. Joseph Ratzinger retained that childlike faith our Lord urges us to have. He was perhaps the most, in, the most intellectual pope that the church has ever seen. Yet he also had an evangelical love for Christ that would put the most fervent Pentecostal to shame. As Pope, two great administrative decisions stand out. Um, Summarum Pontificum and Anglicandrum Cotobis. My Latin is bad. The first liberal, liberalized, first liberalized the celebration of the traditional Latin Mass and declared it, declared it was never abrogated and could not be abrogated. This generous action led to a flowering of the traditional liturgy and helped create an enthusiastic movement of both young and old. That is probably the most exciting thing to happen in the church in the past half century. The second decision, Anglingonum Cotobis, was an act of true ecumenism in an era awash in meaninglessness, ecumenical gestures. Benedict established a particular way for Anglicans to enter the Catholic Church while retaining much, uh, many of their legitimate Anglican traditions. I remember well the criticism he received from, from the ecumenical establishment for his generosity. At, at this point, the ecumenical movement had dissolved into a series of endless dialogues leading nowhere, yet here was a pope challenging them by saying, in, in, in effect, the goal is to become Catholic. See? This is the beauty uh, of Pope Benedict XVI. I mean, the way he thinks and the way he he stretches things out. I mean, he his theology is unmatched. It's, you, you know, there's no connection. I haven't really been able to connect with Pope Francis's work. It's hard because Francis is just much more difficult to read.
Both of these actions demonstrated Benedict's care for souls. He looked, as our current pontiff would say, to the peripheries, disaffected the traditional Catholics and disaffected Anglicans, and reached out to them in charity and in desire to integrate them into the fuller life of the church. In these actions, I demonstrated he was an ivory tower academic, but a man passionate for souls. So like he said, the goal is to become Catholic. As we entered the 20, 2013, I felt the church was on the right path with Benedict at the helm. Although even then he was getting older, I was confident that he would continue to lead us where the Lord wanted us to go. Then came the great resignation. It's impossible to write about Joseph Ratzinger, Pope Benedict XVI, without addressing his papal resignation. His decision sent seismic shocks throughout the church and has impacted every aspect of, of church life today. What Catholic, what Catholic doesn't sometimes wonder what the church would be like if he had not resigned? There would be no Pope Francis, obviously, but it goes much deeper than that. The entire outlook of the church has radically changed since Benedict's resignation, and many, myself included, would say for the worse. I would agree. It doesn't look good, but I sometimes wonder, look, right now we're going through a very difficult time. It is obviously a difficult time. It's an understatement that it's a difficult time. And it's true. Things are not great under Francis. But he hasn't done anything, like my friend Henry said, that is heretical. He hasn't declared anything heretical. When he said that thing, that line on the, uh, on the, the airplane, that Catholics don't have to breed as rabbits. We have to remember that was an opinion. It wasn't an encyclical. It wasn't a decree. It was an opinion. He can have an opinion, a wrong opinion, a good opinion, a terrible opinion. Even even if it sounds heretical, it could it's his, still his. It could be a, it could be heretical. But still, we have to remember that maybe. Christ wants this so that we so that we can see the problems within the church that needs to be addressed. Eventually it has to. All right, let's continue. Uh, let me see here. All right. I freely admit that I shall that I still have I, I freely admit that I still have not gotten over the pain of Benedict's resignation. It's one thing for a son to be abandoned by a lousy father. It's another for a son to be abandoned by a father he adores. The betrayal cuts deeper and betrayal, and betrayal it was. Joseph Ratzinger accepted the pontificate with full knowledge of what it mean, what entails. He was, he was Pope John Paul II's right-hand man for 25 years. He knew it meant he was becoming the father of the Holy Father. Of more than a billion Catholics, a father should ha never abandon his children. Yet that's exactly what Joseph Ratzinger did. He felt his shock. He, felt, he, he left his flock to the wolves 
and those wolves have been roaming free ever since his abdication. After Benedict's resignation, I started to see his life and his work in a new light, like a young man starting to see his father in a less idealistic way. As he grows older, I came to recognize some of his flaws, both administratively and theologically. Interesting. I still loved and appreciated most of his theological works, but revelations about former Cardinal Theodore McCarrick put Benedict's administrative failings in full light. Even though it's clear that Benedict knew that at least some of McCarrick's despicable misdeeds, he only quite mo uh, quietly moved the monster aside instead of publicly removing him from any influence in the church. Further, it's also clear that in, in hindsight, while Benedict recognized many of the problems in today's church, he did not have the passion, the passionately or the will to make the, the hard choices needed to everyone, that, uh, every, uh, to overcome them. I'm sorry. He was a brilliant. He he was brilliant at times in diagnosing the problems, remembering the dictatorship relativism. He fe he fell far short of actually doing much about it when he had the power to do so. And eventually he gave up trying. You see, this is something I think my friend Henry pointed out in one of our conversations that Pope Francis pointed to the, the cult of personality. That one has to be careful not to be attached to the cult of personality. That a move, a, a, a particular group or movement is strongly based on one particular person's personality. And that's a danger. And I think, you know, in, mo in many cases, that's, I think when, when it comes to Benedict resignation and his, and his popularity, and then when you look back, you see the flaws. Maybe that's a good thing. It's not a bad thing. You know, he... You know, this is this is one of the things. Like I'm saying, is that it? It's just, you know, it's just, it was necessary. You can't just be a cult of personality. The whole center should be Jesus Christ. Even with Benedict on one of the peripheries, he has to be. It has to, he has to point to Christ. And even though he failed, he was intellectual enough to point out the truth. But he failed in many other things. We still needed that. We still need to see who the man is, his work, we have to judge him by that, but we must not uh, become a cult of personality, and it's hard. You know, it's like someone becoming a fan of a rapper, you're becoming a fan of a uh, like a Stan Lee in comics, or an Elvis Presley, or a Mick Jagger. You're obsessed. You're obsessed with that person. You're obsessed with everything they do and say. You know, it's like someone who's all obsessed about Lady Gaga, They'll dress like Lady Gaga. They'll become Lady Gaga. And then one day they find out Lady Gaga is not exactly who you think she is. And what happens is you lose your idol. It's very interesting. All right, let's keep on. So he failed to move McCarrick. 
It's clear that Benedict knew at least some of McCarrick's despicable misdeeds. He only quietly moved the monster aside instead of publicly removing him from any influence in the church. Further, it's also clear in hindsight that while Benedict recognized many of the problems in today's church, he did not have the personality or the will to make the hard choices needed to overcome them. He was a brilliant at times in diagnosing the problems, remembering the dictatorship of relativism. He fell far short of actually doing much about it when he had the power to do so. And eventually he gave, he gave up trying. It's because he was an intellectual. He was not a fighter. And I, and I still think that in many ways, it's probably you got to admit there is still some kind of flaw in the formation of pastors in Vatican II. There's a seriously flaw in their, in their formation. It's like as though they're starting to develop priests that just don't fight, that can't seem to have the guts to fight, the guts to stand up. It's like don't rock the boat. I, I, I truly believe it's a flaw in formation. His theology was not without its flaws either. I came to realize once I removed my rose-colored glasses, there you go, the cult of personality, he was ultimately a product of the modern and often modernist church. I'm just starting to read this article for the first time. When it came to his biblical theology, that often meant he combined traditional insights with modern scholarship to dive deep into the sacred scriptures, but it also led him to a questionable eschatology at times, including his own bizarre and confusing idea of the role of a Pope Emeritus. You see, I was right. He played with that theory. An, innova- an innovation of his own making. In my book, Deadly Indifference, I detailed many of the problems with today's ecumenical and interreligious movement. And while Ratzinger was far better than most churchmen today in understanding the unique role of the church in salvation, he too often de-emphasized that role, even at times presented salvation as it detached from outward membership of the Catholic Church. Like all great men then, Joseph Ratzinger was was a combination of good and bad, strength and weaknesses, brilliant and ignorance. There's no question in my mind that he was a great man. One of the things that, one of the one of the leading figures of our times, and an overall force of good in our chaotic Catholic Church. Even if at times he embraced too much modern modernity in the in the, that church, yet his papal Resignation casts a dark pall, uh, pall on his whole life, suggesting that when the, gov- when the great Mormon came and his Lord asked him for the ultimate sacrifice, he blinked. Rest in peace, Joseph Ratzinger. May you come into the next life to see directly and the Lord whom you love so much in, in, his, in, uh, in this life. All right, so this was by Eric Simmons. Eric Simmons is the editor-in-chief of Crisis Magazine. Let's let's move to the gospel. All right, Alleluia, Alleluia. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets. 
in these last days he has spoken to us through the Son. Alleluia, alleluia. Reading from the Holy Gospel according to St. Luke, they found Mary and Joseph and the infant, whom, uh, when the eight days were completed, he was named Jesus. All right. Luke chapter 2, verse 16 to 21. The shepherds went in haste to Bethlehem and found Mary and Joseph and the infant lying in the manger. When they saw this, they made known the message that had been told to them about this child. All who heard it were amazed by what had been told to them by these shepherds. And Mary kept all these things, reflecting on them in her heart. Then the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen, just as had been told to them. When, when eight days were completed for his circumcision, he was named Jesus, the name given him by the angel, before he was conceived in the womb. Okay, one more time. The shepherds went in haste to Bethlehem and found Mary and Joseph and the infant laying in the manger. When they saw this, they made known the message that had been told to them about, about this child. All who heard it were amazed by what had been told to them by the shepherds. And Mary kept all these things reflecting on them in her heart. Then the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen, just as it had been told to them. When the eight days were completed for his circumcision, he was named Jesus, the name given him by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. The gospel of the Lord praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. So, um, the shepherds, the shepherds went in haste. I like that, that word. They went in haste to Bethlehem and found Mary and Joseph and the infant laying in the manger. When they saw this, they, they made known the message that had been told to them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed by what had been told to them by the shepherds. See, that's the thing. It was revealed to them. The revelation was revealed to them. And they accepted and believed what the angel said to them. They went and then investigated. They went to see with their own eyes. And that was the act of faith. The act of faith is they believed. An act of faith is that they they received what was given to them. They embraced it and they believed. And then they went and told others. Notice what they did. They went and made known. All who heard it were amazed by what had been told to them by the shepherds. They went and told others. And Mary kept and reflected and treasured these things in her heart. And the shepherds went and glorified God, glorified and praised God 
for everything. That's another thing we have to do. We have to praise God in our lives. Praise Him. We don't do enough with Him. Enough, enough praising. We need to praise God in our lives. Praise Him that He is willingly to make His love known to us even in, even in the very difficult moments of our lives. We need to praise God more. Really, just praise Him more. Love him more. And it's difficult. It is difficult. But that takes practice, I believe. You know, in difficult times, he makes his mercy known. In difficult times, he he makes his mercy known to us even when we're suffering. And we're, you know, we're we're not we're not doing great. Even like now. Our world and our culture is going through a lot of mess. But do we praise him? Do we love him and praise him for what he's what he's done for us? And even though like we find out people like like you know, finding out that your teacher, your you the one you held so much. And that's the thing, like I said earlier, maybe we there's good and there's bad in people. There's not everything is perfect. That's why Christ is the center. And I think, you know, whatever it is, we'll, we just have to deal with it. We just have to deal with the situation that we're going through right now. The most important thing is to praise God. And even when things don't look great, they look really bad, just continue to praise Him. Okay, I'm going to end it here. All right. I believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all things visible and invisible. I believe in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, born of the Father before all ages. God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, consubstantial with the Father. Through him all things were made. For us men and for our salvation, he came down from heaven and by the Holy Spirit was incarnate of the Virgin Mary and became man. For our sake, he was crucified under Pontius Pilate. He suffered death and was buried and rose again on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead and his kingdom will have no end. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, and with the Father and the Son he is adored and glorified, who has spoken through the prophets. I believe in one holy Catholic and apostolic church. I confess one baptism for the forgiveness of sins. I look forward to the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now at the hour of our death. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now at the hour of our death. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. 
Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now at the hour of our death. Amen. St. Michael, Archangel of God, defend us in the day of battle. Be our protection against the wild and wicked attacks of the devil. May God rebuke him, we humbly pray. And now, O Prince of the Heavenly Host, by the divine power of God, cast into hell Satan and all evil spirits who prowl the world, seeking the ruin of souls. Amen. Sacred Heart of Jesus, have mercy. Sacred Heart of Jesus, have mercy. Sacred Heart of Jesus, have mercy. Immaculate Heart of Mary, pray for us. Immaculate Heart of Mary, pray for us. Immaculate Heart of Mary, pray for us. O oh, my Jesus, forgive us our sins. Save us from the fires of hell. Lead all souls to heaven, especially those who most need of thy mercy. Amen. Okay, and now, our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for Pope Benedict XVI. St. Joseph, pray for him. St. Peter, pray for him. St. Paul, pray for him. St. John the Baptist, pray for him. All you saints and angels, pray for him. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen.